The biggest thing I could have done was find community. Having other people cheering you on who understand what you're going through and they're saying, oh my gosh, that same thing happened in my house the other day. And that, that brings power. That's empowering right there. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Huffington, and today we are talking about parenting advice and whether it applies or works when you have a neurodivergent child. Before we begin, I'd like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at The Neuro here in Montreal for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. I would also like to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron. And if you are enjoying the Curious Neuron podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Let me know when you did this, send me a screenshot, and I will send you one of our parenting PDFs for free, which includes our tantrum guide, which I know a lot of parents want. So today we are chatting with Megan. Uh, Megan and I connected on Instagram and had such a lovely conversation, and I wanted to bring her here, actually, onto the podcast. She's the host of On the Hard Days podcast and the Instagram account with the same name. She hosts the first ever worldwide support group for moms raising neurodivergent children. Hi, Megan. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I I really think that this is an important conversation and that it's going to help a lot of parents feel seen and understood because this is what happened on my end. And this is why we had the initial conversation. I had a mom reach out to me. And um, as everyone knows, I, I offer parenting advice. Um, and she felt upset because she felt that I had fallen into this sort of category of parenting platforms that offer, you know, with with good intention, obviously, parenting advice. But we failed to to realize and, and to see that there are parents where this advice does not apply. And she was one of those parents. And she felt like she was failing all the time because she was applying whatever she learned from my platform and others. Um, and nothing was working. And, and one of the big ones she mentioned was staying calm and as calm as she could possibly stay, thinking that this is how she had to do it and this was the right way to parent. Um, she wasn't seeing any results in her son who has ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder. So this led to lots of struggles with her. So that's why we connected you and I originally. And I, I wanted to share that story with everyone because I think there are a lot more parents than just this one parent, <laughs> as you know, because you have this support group as well. And I can't wait to hear all about that as well. But was this a similar journey for you uh, regarding parenting advice? Yes. You know, it's tough because I, I originally would have said no. I always wanted to be a mother and I thought I knew what I would be doing. Um, I was a babysitter and I worked in daycares and I'm a teacher. And so I just assumed that parenting would come very naturally to me. And so I would have told you if you had asked me that same question, you know, seven years ago, I would have said, no, no, it doesn't really apply, but it does. It does really apply. And it's hard when it seems like the advice that you sometimes can find. And I, I personally do not think that it comes from you in this way. So um, I see it in, in other places, but advice is so well-intentioned, but it comes out like, like it's simple mm -hmm. as if everybody knows the secret, but you. And if you don't know the secret of how to parent your child, mm. then there must be something wrong with you as a mother. And that's at least the way that I felt. And so 
it, it does hurt, but again, it's not like people are out mm. to be cruel. It's just, well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? Well, I mm. tried those things and they didn't work. So now what do I do? It must be my fault. It's a hard, hard place to be in for sure. It must feel kind of lonely because you've tried everything. And I'm assuming you have these conversations with friends and family members where they're like, well, if your child is having tantrums, just stay calm and it'll pass, right? Like, and it's not the same. A tantrum and meltdown is very different. Um, did you experience that sort of thing around behavior and tantrums? Oh, gosh, absolutely. Um, and honestly, I don't really talk about it as much anymore because it's not understood. Mm. Um, it still is hard for family and friends who, who do not have neurodivergent kids to look at my child and see those behaviors, especially the ones that involve disrespect or aggression or screaming. And, you know, they just want to say, oh, like, get control of your kid. Mm. You need to be more firm. You need to set tighter boundaries. You need to discipline better or whatever. Mm. And gosh, that's really hard because in a way I agree with them. If I think back to myself before I had kids, I would have completely agreed with them. I would have been the mom hearing that, that other mom in a grocery store while her child's throwing a temper tantrum and being like, you know, throwing, throwing their body on the floor and thinking to myself, oh, you know, this mom, I don't even know what I would be thinking, but I know the judgment was there because it comes so easy mm. until you're in that position. And so family mm. and friends, it's like, you know, mm. again, they mean well too, but I don't always have it in me to fully explain my kid. I don't even know where I would start. It's such a long yeah. ex explanation. He's a complicated little guy. It, it reminds me of a reel I think you had where it's like, I think you talk about like when somebody asks you about your weekend and I know, I know some friends that, that have neurodivergent children and it, you really opened my eyes to that because, you know, on Monday it's like a text, how was your weekend? Great. How was yours? Great. And it ends there. And then you opened my eyes to the fact that there's no point, they, not no point, but they don't want to explain it all because it probably was a really crappy and difficult weekend and they don't want to get into the details. And I tried to be more aware of that, but it's hard to know, I think on my end too, how to support that because I don't know if they want to talk about it and, and I don't want, I don't know if they need me to say like, you can talk about it and it's okay. Um, or if it's better for them to just not talk about it. It's hard to know how to support that. And that's not, that's not an, of any fault of your own either. Um, I think Honestly, it's it's just like anybody who, who might be going through a tough time, no matter what the situation is. It's a lot of like, hey, I hope you had a great weekend. If not, feel free to mm. chat about it with me if you want. And if not, that's fine, too. Mm. And that's it. Um, mm. I don't want any looks mm. of pity. This is my child. I love him and my other children beyond measure. And I'm not looking for sympathy, but sometimes I'm too exhausted mentally to explain mm. to you what happened in our weekend. And honestly, I think the whole, you know, how was your weekend? It was great. It's just really a formality that goes with hello. <laughs> I mean, do you really want to know how my weekend was? Do you really care that I went to Costco and then I cleaned my kitchen? Like, no, you don't really care. It's just part of our, it's just manners, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, maybe we could bring it back a little bit for some parents that are listening, because some um, parents do reach out and ask me whenever I post about neurodivergent children, they'll say, what does that mean? W you know, this is new to them. For those who are listening, this encompasses differences in the brain, right? I, I And I don't know if I, I'm explaining it from the science part, but now we're using that term for 
ADHD, autistic children, and, you know, OCD, all of them, right? Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't really know what the technical dictionary definition is. Yeah. I, I kind of just think of it. Moms ask me that as well. I keep hearing you say neurodivergence. Mm. What are you talking about? Mm. And I sort of just compare it as the opposite of neurotypical. Yeah. And I usually follow up the phrase neurodivergent with out of the box. And that's been a way that I've really framed my thinking around it mm. and simply imagining a, a cardboard box um, and and all the, the neurotypical kids climbing in and it fits just fine and they can shut the flaps over their head and they're good to go. But then there's the kids who try as they might, they cannot get their mm. body in there. They cannot fit. Mm. Some, a leg is sticking out here and an arm is sticking out <laughs> there, whatever it is, they don't fit in the box. Mm. And you can try different strategies and you can try all kinds of different um, tips and tricks. But the fact is they are who they are. They're original. They're unique. Their box is not rectangular or square. It's a whole different shape. Hmm. That is not a technical definition, but it's the way that I think about it. And I think it's important for parents to hear it that way. And again, it, it does go back to differences in, in kids and differences in how their brain is developing and, or has developed. And we need to start talking about this a lot more, I think, in, within our community and society, because every child is different. And we are trying to fit these children into boxes from a very early age of fitting them into, you know, these categories of intelligence and in schools you have to be within this kind of category and and it's too much I find when it comes to kids and we especially when they're young we need to take the time to understand them and their differences and their unique needs um so that is the bigger part I think of the conversation that's been is is being had in in society hopefully more um, will continue having it but at at what point with your son mm. that you notice things just weren't matching up with like what you were reading about behavior or temper tantrums or emotions, you know, whatever it was around that age and that parenting like advice wasn't really applying for you. Well, honestly, it started when he was very young. Mm. Um, it's actually the, the first episode of my podcast is, is the waffle story. Mm. Um, and essentially when he was so young, a young toddler, the, the meltdowns started everything set him off everything. And actually it started even earlier than that when he was about 10, 11 months old, because he never crawled. I didn't know he and his twin sister were my first and I had no idea. There was no scooting, no nothing. And so he would pull to stand and he'd stand there and scream and scream and scream because he couldn't move his body after that. He had no, no way to move. Um, and I, he ended up going to OT. He, it was all about the vestibular system and a whole bunch of things that at the time I didn't understand, but that led down this path of um, mm. toddler and preschool perfectionism, some OCD tendencies, especially around food, um, some definitely sensory mm. issues, um, loud noises and um, uh, gosh, textures. It could be anything. Um, it just went on and on. It, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And by the time he was four, he had spent the last two years essentially screaming, just screaming, constantly screaming. He was miserable. He was unhappy. Um, the meltdowns were long and they were draining and he didn't really have the words to tell me what the problem was. And that was sort of my, you know, I was certainly depressed. What is wrong with my kid? What is wrong with me? Why can't I help him? And everything I'm trying is not working. Um, but that was the beginning of starting to find some answers in terms of what was really going on with him. One of my friends is is going through this right now and the process of diagnosis and the process of 
kind of not admitting, but realizing, okay, that I'm going to have to give this child a lot more of my attention and they have a lot more needs than my other child has, um, has been a really big struggle for her. Was this similar to you around the four-year-old stage? Very much so, especially since he has a twin. Mm. And actually I had my, a third child when the twins were barely three. So oh essentially gosh. I have like triplets, it feels like at least. Yeah. Um, and so with two other children and one being a baby, very much the mom guilt. I think all moms, all moms struggle with mom guilt. And I think that backs up to mm-hmm. societal expectations of what a mother's role is mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But especially when you're raising a neurodivergent child, and especially if that child has challenging behaviors, because the truth of the matter is, and and this is not something that is typically talked about. If you have a child who has meltdowns, not temper tantrums, but meltdowns, fight or flight mode, absolutely beside themselves for multiple hours a day, that's going to affect everyone in the family, siblings, parents, parents even pets, even my dogs Mm -hmm. would hide when he was screaming because it's loud and it was scary. And in terms of the siblings, it's so Mm. much guilt there and so much shame that I brought upon myself. Like I am doing my other children a disservice. I am not giving them what they need. Um, And it's, it's not fair that they have to walk on eggshells in order to not set my son off. It's tough. It's tough in many, many ways. Yeah. That's something that she's um, voiced as well. She had a lot of guilt for not giving attention to the other kids, but she had no choice to stay with her son when he was having meltdowns. And let's just maybe talk about meltdowns just a tiny bit more because there might be a parent out there or parents out there who are not sure what the difference is and are wondering, yeah, you know what? My child struggles a lot with temper tantrums. But there's a difference, a huge, huge difference between the two. You mentioned that they were long and frequent. What sort of triggers did he have that caused these meltdowns? Yeah. And of course, again, I don't I don't really have the the dictionary definition Um, going from my own personal experience. Hmm. Meltdowns are like out of body, out of body experiences where that child is gone. You cannot reason. He can't even hear me call his name Hmm. in those moments. Um, He's on another planet. He's gone. And when he's in that state, especially when he was younger, the behaviors that might come out are unpredictable. They could involve aggression with, with his body. They could be words that I didn't even know he knew coming out of his mouth. Mm. Um, things that he doesn't mean. He is not trying to get a reaction out of me. He would be having that same exact fit in that way if I was sitting right next to him or if I wasn't even in the house. The difference, in my opinion, you know, from a tantrum, it's those are more attention seeking. Those are shorter. Those are no, I'm not doing that because I don't want to, you know, kind of typical um, toddler. toddler and preschooler reactions. And they snap out of it much more easily. Yeah. They're, like they'll have their emotions. They're even big emotions, but it's easier to come out of it, you know, five, 10 minutes after the, the beginning of it. Yeah. You can distract them. Hey, come sit with me. Why don't we read a book together? Oh, okay. Not with a meltdown. I mean, with a meltdown, you have to wait, wait until they're back on mm-hmm. earth and, and reconnect with them and they need a drink and they need food and they need to sort of come to, it's like a whole, it's like they just went through surgery. It's, Mm. crazy. And Mm. 
it affects everyone. And, and that's the hardest part. I could imagine also your daily life, right? Where if you have to go grocery shopping and bring your kids with you, or if you have a celebration or an event and it's a holiday and you know you have to leave the house and there's a meltdown that happens. I'm, I'm imagining that planning goes around your that child that needs more, you know, more support. Yeah, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about that a lot myself in that people just do not understand, nor should they, why would they, about the reasons I can't go to that birthday party. And the reason why, when you're like, let's have a play date, we'll, we'll start at the playground and then we'll go out to lunch and then we'll go to a movie. There's no way, there's no way we're going to make it through all of those things. But how do I begin mm. to explain it to you without you say, thinking, well, just tell him that's what he's doing. Like he, you're in charge. He's yeah. the kid. That's, that's the plan. Um, these mm. are the things that moms of neurodivergent kids are thinking about. Are there going to be bugs? That's one for my kid. Mm. Um, is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Mm. Are there going to be lots of people? Is it going to be loud? Mm. Is it going to be too quiet? <laughs> is it going to smell mm. weird? Whatever it is, it goes on and on and on. And I have to consider that every time we leave the house. And that's exhausting in itself. And, and and not to mention, there's so many times we have to turn down events with friends and whatnot, just because you know, it's not going to go well. It's hard. One thing that um, a mom had reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and said that they were also in the process, their child had some sensory sensitivities. So for those, again, that are listening who might not know what that is, you mentioned that as well. Um, but some children will be more sensitive to sounds, loud sounds. Some children will be sensitive to textures. So that's why they might have some picky eating, you know, and difficulties with certain foods. And it could be color of it. It could be the texture, the temperature of it. So there's a lot there. And the OT butterfly, um, she, Laura over there on Instagram covered covers this a lot. And we have an episode with her as well. So, you know, in addition to that, like you said, being hot. So this one parent has been working with their child. They recently, um, it's not a diagnosis when it's sensory sensitivity. It was just like they went to see an OT and the child fit the criteria for it. But this mom realized and, and had this guilt over having yelled at her son for so many years and getting upset and hadn't realized that socks were causing the problem, uh, one of the problems, um, getting ready in the morning. And she would just get mad, like, just put on your socks, right? Like, why are you screaming? Put on the socks. Um, and it was only after. And then this flood of guilt came in because she hadn't realized socks were causing him these sensitivities. And then the second thing was after all these years of just feeling like a bad parent and a bad, a bad mom, now realizing that her son had needs that she hadn't attended to, she decided to go see a therapist because it, she needed to work through all of that. Um, you know, so for those parents or moms that are listening right now that, you know, maybe are going through the same steps and realizing their child might have these sensitivities or is neurodivergent. I'm wondering what your journey was, you know, after the diagnosis, being where you are now in your journey, what, what sort of work have you done on yourself too? Because there's, like you said, it's very heavy. Um, and at the end of the day, you're probably drained too. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is for sure. To be honest with you, I have gone through a, what I would consider kind of a radical transformation on myself in the last two years. Many things have contributed to that, but certainly I sought my own therapy and medication for myself too. Mm. This is heavy stuff. And I often tell other moms, you know, when they, they feel like they're doing a terrible job. And I would, I felt like that too. It's, it's when your child is miserable, 85% of the time, you don't feel like you're doing a good job. But if anybody stepped into my home 
and I said, here, take over, they would struggle just as much. There's no Mm -hmm. secret here. There's no, there's no uh, amazing magical adult who could come through the house and and simply um, do all the things that I can't do. I'm doing everything I can do. I'm doing the best that I can with the skills that I have. Mm. And sometimes that's not enough, but nothing would be enough. This is my kid and he is who he is and I am who I am. And it took me a long time to accept that, to be honest with you. And I mean, this is a huge, huge part of my own transformation. The biggest thing I could have done was find community, which is where my whole, Mm -hmm. my whole platform comes in, but that's you having other people cheering you on who understand what you're going through. And they're saying, oh my gosh, that same thing happened in my house the other day. They're not saying, you know, you should just try this. Have you tried this? Mm. None of that. It's just like, wow, this is hard. This sucks. And I am so with you on this. I'm here with you sitting in the the, the trenches. <laughs> and that, that brings mm. power. That's empowering right there. Mm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all parenting platforms or mom groups, whatever it is, had that take where it's just the compassion part and and the you know rooting you on and saying you've got this you know yeah we had a crappy day and and that's that's part of parenting and to have this non-judgmental space where you can say I had the worst day ever today and I just need to tell somebody or I need to complain about my kids and not feel judged what a beautiful space to have and to allow us to grow and realize that it's okay to do that thank you yeah, it it's like magic um, and is way more amazing than I ever dreamed possible. I didn't, I did not have this dream. Um, it's enfolding, unfolding right in front of me. I needed friendship. You know, I, I have my own podcast. I bring moms on who are raising neurodivergent kids every week. And that's great. I, I love connecting with them and hearing their stories. It's very validating. Mm. But at the end of the day, they would be hanging up on the recording and I'd be like, wait, I need your phone number. Like, <laughs> I want to text them at nine o'clock at night when bedtime was a nightmare. And I found myself desperate for the friendship piece. It was the personalized support. I don't just want to hear a podcast as great as they are and go, oh, you know, that's me too. That's validating. But where's, where's my, where are my people? What I have noticed, including for myself, is that moms are not talking about this. And I think speaking for myself, it's because they're embarrassed. There is such a deep amount of shame still yeah. around those societal expectations mm-hmm. of motherhood and all of that. Who are they going to tell? Mm-hmm. We don't know, most of us, we don't know other moms with kids like ours in real life. I did not. And so I'm just going to keep quiet. Mm-hmm. But then that that starts to eat away at you. So I desperately wanted friendship. And so I thought, well, why don't I just look for some sort of community that I can join um, that is sort of friendship based, I guess, and and supportive in that really personal way. And I could not find a single thing, not a single thing. So I decided to start my own. And um, that's where Mothers Together comes from. (laughs) Um, From there, it has evolved. And I only started it last August, hasn't even been a year, but there are multiple moving parts to Mothers Together, one being a forum that's not on Facebook. It has some very specific, like, we are all in this together. We are all deep in the trenches. So at the beginning of every post, you can either ask for advice or you can vent and you can say advice or vent so that we know how to respond, for example. Got it. But yeah. the secret sauce is the um, the support group part. And the support group part is simply, it's kind of like a dating service, I guess. Like what if a mom, 
what if I, if this were me, if I could say, hey, I'm looking for other moms who have sons, whose kids struggle with sensory issues, um, ADHD, what about giftedness? I would like to connect with some moms who have gifted kids. Um, I want them to be elementary age, you know, and I have essentially, there's over a hundred moms in here at this point, and we can sort of network. Oh, I've got the perfect group for you. Mm-hmm. It's this group of moms. They're all raising teenagers. Neurodivergent teenagers are a whole other beast. And so those moms, they are looking for each other. Mm-hmm. So when someone joins and says, well, I've got a 14 year old, I know exactly what support group to put them in. Um, and so not only are they in that support group and that we meet on Zoom once a week and all of that, but we also text each other on a daily basis. We use Marco Polo and send video messages. And I'm constantly watching these messages. Hey, we haven't heard from you in a couple of days. How did that meeting go? I hope your doctor's appointment went okay. I had a really tough school drop off this morning. Daily mm-hmm. check-ins. It's a, a, here is your friendship piece. Here is your home base. These are your people handing them mm-hmm. right to you. Um, and, and people can choose to just have them or they can expand to all the different moms and and mothers together since we have a lot of them now. So it's the friends that I never knew I would have. (laughs) And I keep that in mind with the moms that join. It's finding you the people you didn't know you needed. But it's so important, you know, and and I, I can't even imagine how many more moms out there need this kind of community, especially with a neurodivergent child, because like you said, it it could be lonely. And I I get that. I, I, I could understand that. Um, what are some things that maybe parents or moms without a neurodivergent child, what are things that they don't understand or we don't understand that you would like us to? I get, And we've touched upon a few things, but I'm wondering if, you know, there's things that we're not aware of or I don't know if it's certain questions or things that we say, or maybe there's nothing at all. I don't know, but it, I, I'm curious to know if there's anything. Do you mean like how to approach and and have conversations with other moms raising neurodivergent kids? Yeah, I don't know. So it comes from a question. I received a question from a mom um, that said she disliked the fact that a lot of friends would um, say, I'm so sorry, every time she announced that her child, her, her son had received an ADHD diagnosis. And it just got me thinking, if there's if there are other things that parents who don't have a neurodivergent child are kind of saying or doing without realizing it's not ill intention, but that we're saying that might be, you know, causing these sort of feelings. Yeah. So that would drive me bananas. Like if someone (laughs) says, I'm so sorry, when all I've said is that my kid is this or Mm. that, well, my kid is a complicated guy, but he's got a whole list of struggles. Well, but some of them aren't, aren't so aren't so challenging, aren't so bad. I mean, he's gifted, for example. Mm. Well, giftedness has its own set of challenges, but in our society, giftedness is looked at as this amazing thing. The reason that someone says, I am so sorry, when someone says that their child has ADHD or, or whatever, is because as a society, we are still saying, if you are not like everybody else, yes. then there is something wrong with you. That is the mm the underlying thought process here. Mm. So it's like, we're saying so sorry that your child didn't turn out like everyone else. And, and that is so old school. Like I, what a crazy line of thinking. Mm. When you think about a classroom of students and I'm, I'm a teacher and I see it that way, every single one of them is different. They all have their, their struggles, but they all have their strengths as well. 
Um, when we start to separate and, and get rid of that expectation, we expect that kids are going to be quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Yeah. We expect that moms are going to be patient mm-hmm. all the time. We expect all of these things that are not realistic. And, and I think that that's where the I'm sorry comes from. Oh, now your child is not going to fit in that box. So they might be noticeable. They might stand out. That's so sad for you that your kid might not be like the rest as if that's mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the only place mm-hmm. that I would really, I, I value a good, I'm so sorry is when I say that I was up all night with a screaming child that may get an, I'm so sorry, but not because your child is who they are. You know, like, Oh, your, your kid wears glasses. I'm so sorry. Like what? Come on. now. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. about acceptance. True. Acceptance. I'm wondering if it's also coming from a part, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of that, of the parents saying, I'm so sorry. And I'm wondering if it's coming from a place where, you're going to have certain struggles as a mom that I might not have, right? Maybe the, I'm trying, I'm trying to understand it as well, right? Like, because like you said, you have a lot more challenges. So how can a parent without a neurodivergent child be mindful of that? And and maybe it's not, I'm so sorry, but what do you need from me? Or how can I help you? Would that be different or it's the same sort of thing? Oh, no, I don't think that's the same at all. I mean, hmm. how can I help? If I'm carrying two coffees and I have dark circles under my eyes and <laughs> or whatever, how can I help is great. Hmm. Here's the thing. Neurodivergent children, the mothers of neurodivergent children, there is no reason that we deserve any sort of special treatment. What if we just accepted all moms and their children for who they are? And we didn't think about normal and, and not yeah. um, in the box or out of the box. Mm. How about you, a neurotypical mom shows up to the playground and also looks exhausted because their toddler didn't sleep all night. That's normal, but it doesn't make it any different or any less than no one mm-hmm. is less than. Why are we still doing that to each other? Um, yeah. And I, I truly do believe that moms and mom shaming is a, a true thing and it still mm-hmm. exists. And I think a big reason why it exists is because those moms who are shaming other moms have yet to fully accept themselves as mothers. And so when you don't accept yourself, it's very easy to judge other people. Mm-hmm. We just need to cut everybody some slack. Everybody, all moms okay. everywhere. Oh, I love that. And and it's true. I think we need to kind of like <laughs> put her, you know, block what's happening to the left and to the right and just kind of focus on ourselves as moms, focus on our child. Neurodivergent or not, every child has different needs. Even well, you have three and I have three. And within my home, every single child, I have to parent differently. They are their own person. They have their own temperaments and their own behavioral issues or whatever it is and and I have to learn and discover them the same way um and and I think it's nice for us to kind of look at it that way and I I'm not a fan of labels because that puts a child in a box because even if you look at a child who has ADHD it they will not be exactly the same as the other child who has ADHD so even within that there are individual needs and we need to start understanding that a lot more so that is very important I think whether it's neurodivergent or neurotypical yeah 
I completely agree. I'm curious also regarding like parenting advice. So how do you navigate this world of parenting now that's like on Instagram or everywhere around us, right? Like this is, it's like it slaps us in the face when we wake up and we turn on our phone. It's like parenting advice, (laughs) do this today. And I'm part of that too. That's that's the goal that I have is to try to (laughs) offer parents, you know, these little tips that they can apply. And it's, I try to be mindful of how much or, you know, how intense to be in, 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 in the way that I post because, you know, we're just bombarded by information these days. So what do you look for in a platform or, you know, do you take the advice that they're giving and then just figure out, you know, does this apply to me and my family and my home? And if it doesn't move on to the next piece, like, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with giving advice. And if people are going to follow someone on social media and they enjoy their content, then that's all that matters. That's why we're all here sharing what we've got. If someone doesn't agree or like what I've got, then they scroll on by. <laughs> or leave a comment. <laughs> you need to be mindful of it really only in that. And you don't do this at all, but but some some platforms do. It's really about it's so easy. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is that's the messaging that I, I find a turnoff. I get um, yeah. Just say this. I mean, some really big names um, who are wonderful, like well-intentioned, but okay. You have this situation, just say these words, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then your child will understand. Okay. But, but, but they don't though. So where's that, where's that book or where's that piece of advice that says, well, you used your gentle parenting sweet voice and you said everything right and your kid still threw a chair. Now what do I do? Um, and that advice doesn't exist because I still think we're uncomfortable talking about it. And so really, hmm. I love good tri- tips and strategies, but especially when they're coming from, this is what I tried. Not, I can't relate to you, but maybe you should try. Like, that's not helpful. Hmm. So- let's say my my kid is having trouble falling asleep and I would like to try melatonin. And so what's useful and helpful is is people saying, Oh, try this brand. We had good luck with it. These were some of the side effects. This was the dosage. Um, That's great. Those tips and strategies are fantastic. What's not helpful is, well, you shouldn't even need to give your child melatonin if you were just turning off the lights and and dimming them earlier. And are you using a white noise machine? And you might want to make sure the screens are turned off. I didn't ask for that. I'm telling you that my kid is having a hard time. And so what I'm looking for is validation. Wow. I hear that it's really hard for you. I'm I'm really sorry that you're struggling. Is there anything you need? And, And that's it. But all moms deserve that, I guess, is my point. This shouldn't be just for moms of, of neurodivergent children. We all are drowning in our own way, some more than others, of course, but we all deserve a break. And we all deserve to, to know that we are human and that we're doing the best we can and that our kids are doing great, even if it doesn't always seem that way, because they have us as mothers. And that's the sort of lifting up of other mothers that I'm sort of pushing forward in my community, making sure that that's the only narrative the only narrative is you're doing your best. Good job. That's that's it. That's all I want to hear. That should be printed everywhere in our home. <laughs> Post-its when we wake up in the bathroom, on the fridge, because it's it's really um, such a beautiful mantra to have. Or like you said, the narrative, just keep repeating it to yourself in your head. And it doesn't matter, like you said, 
if you have a neurodivergent child or a typical child, just if you are a mom, (laughs) we need to start saying that to ourselves a lot more. Right. And forgiving yourself is half of the Mm. other piece of it. So Mm. when you're going to support another mom, and we all should be doing that, it's very hard to support someone else if you haven't supported yourself first. So if you are still beating yourself up, I can't believe I lost it on my kid yesterday. Like I yelled so loud. What is wrong with me? I'm terrible. Like my kid doesn't deserve this. If you're having those thoughts, there's no way you can show up for another mom who who walks into work Mm. crying because she had a really tough morning. There's no way. You're still drowning yourself. And so part of this is about accepting who you are as a mother. I never thought that I would ever yell. I've never yelled in my life until I had children. And one of them specifically would try to hurt people when he was a toddler. I would freak out and yell and, oh my God, no, like, you know, whatever. That sort of stuff like stays with you. I remember, I remember the times that I lost it, but we're human and we're doing the best we can. And so coming to terms with, okay, so I do yell once in a while, but what do I do that's positive? Well, I am a great hugger and I love to color with my kids. And we do that all the time. And we sing in the car and we do silly dances and whatever but I also yell and I also lose my patience quickly. And so now that I've kind of like, okay, I get me, I'm good. Like I'm doing a good job. I'm really doing a freaking good job. (laughs) Now I can show up for you when you say, "Ugh, I'm a terrible mom. Mm. I'm going to be all over that because (laughs) I, I feel good about myself. So it really has to come from within first. And that's a hard thing too. And that's part of the whole, you need to have community. You can't be doing this alone. I think that's been the hardest part for myself in parenting as well, where, you know, I came in this thinking like, I got this. It's good. You know, I had a newborn first child coming out of like my education. I was like, I understand the brain. I understand development. I got this. And then she was like two and I had just given birth to my second child. And I was like, I don't have this. <laughs> and and then everything kind of just like, like the expression, right? The, the shit hit the fan. And I was like, OK, um, I have two crying babies in front of me and um, two diapers that need to be changed at the same time. And one time, ta- one child who's hungry. And I can't even imagine how you did it with twins. And then a baby I can't even imagine. And then I had a, I had so I had three kids under four years and it, it was it was a lot. It wasn't twins, but I I by the time the third one came, I was a mess. I was an emotional mess. I needed a therapist, and I need to figure out who I was. And that's when the work began for me. Only when the third child came, because I was avoiding it and ignoring it after the second one came, and all until the third one came, and then I couldn't ignore it anymore because I had to juggle three kids in the home. And I I wonder how many parents are going through this and and thinking like mm. I'll, I'll be fine. It's a moment. I'll get past this. And then realizing that you do need to take the time to work on yourself. And working on yourself is not going to the spa. It won't change anything because when you come back, you'll yell. It's so much work on yourself and developing your personality and you're working on your own emotions. I was raised in a home where, you know, you would drop a spoon and you'd get yelled at. Like it was just my mom was a single mom. She was under stress. She was. And I understand that now. But I also understand how that shaped my own brain and how that shaped how I manage my own emotions and and regulate them and how that led to me doing that with kids. So I think, again, it doesn't matter who your child is or what struggles they have. As a parent, what you just mentioned is the journey that we have to go through. Because if we're not okay with ourselves, like you said, we're not going to be able to support our kids. We're not going to be able to support our friends and show up. Mm -hmm. We can't show up for them because Mm -hmm. we're not doing it for ourselves. I'm so happy you brought that up because 
as a community of moms, we need to be okay to say that. We need to be okay to talk about the difficult times so that other moms could say like, oh, wait, <laughs> she struggled too? Okay, hold on. I can talk about my moment mm-hmm. now. And, and and I think it's safe for me to mm-hmm. to say it out loud. You know, like that's what we need to have as a community. Yeah. And, and there is no mom who's not struggling, <laughs> I've come to realize. Mm-hmm. Some may kind of fake it a little more and that's on them. But no, every single mom is. And something else that I had to realize that also helped was to think about it like this. I have a friend. She is a close, close friend. She has three amazing boys. They are all neurotypical. And when she says, all right, guys, time to put on your shoes. It's time to go. They literally drop what they're doing and they say, okay, mommy. And then they go and do it. And I've watched this happen multiple times and my jaw just drops every time. And at first, and she is a wonderful mother, hundred percent, but the willingness that her children have to do the task, she didn't teach that. She just got lucky. They have an easygoing temperament. Yeah. They just do. Now, mm. that's not to say she's not doing a great job in other ways, but but that and you know, mm-hmm. specifically, that's just that's just who they are. Well, if I don't have to blame myself for my child's struggles, then I also can't get the credit when I have one that's really easy. Mm. So mm. that goes both ways. Mm. We just kind of get the kids we have. And we make the most of it by recognizing their strengths. But sometimes those strengths are more societally approved. Got it. So yeah. they're, you know, they're, it's, they're easygoing kids. We love easygoing people. That's great. Oh, look, they just go with the flow. They'll do whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you didn't raise them that way. They were born that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think we just all have to keep that in, in perspective when we support each other mm-hmm. and knowing that. You just kind of, you get who you get and they all are wonderful. You just have to sometimes look in other ways to find those strengths. You know, I love what you said, because I think it's important for parents to remember that for moms to remember that sometimes we get lucky. Sometimes people get lucky and they have that easygoing child, though tantrums. I think I had posted once that I think it's like 70% of kids have tantrums. And I got a ton of DMs saying like, it's impossible that it's not 100%. <laughs> and I said, no, it's just some don't. And like, it's part of the temperament. There's, it's not every single child. But I think as a society, we tend to say like, that mom must be, um, that mom must be perfect you know, she must have done everything right. And I must have done something wrong because my child is not like hers. And that's where what you just said applies and is so important for us to remember the temperament comes into play. And and even within our own homes, we see it between our kids. My firstborn, I, I call her like the air of the house, you know, like so easy going, f- go with the flow, everything's good. Second one was water. So more emotions, more m- needed more support. That was my middle one. And my third one is fire. <laughs> he is just get out of his way and they eat that is i've i I parented you know when they were babies we had the same environment but that's who they are and that's okay like some are easier and some are not so we have to keep that in mind and not put it all on ourselves and that's something that the mom who originally reached out to me mentioned that by forgetting about the temperament and the impact that DNA has and their genes, that it's not all about environment. If we would just as parenting platforms mention that a little bit more, it would take away the stress from a parent who has a neurodivergent child. Do you agree with that part? Like we should be saying that a lot more? Yeah, because we're constantly saying, again, if you just, as if my child's success solely lies on my shoulders and forget the whole piece about dads, Hmm. 
that's another societal issue, right? Mm-hmm. It, my husband is a wonderful dad and perfectly mm-hmm. capable and, and does do what I do with the kids. But for some reason, there's just this heavy plate of guilt, you know, on the mom, yeah. we're doing the best we can. And when you realize that it takes away yeah. so much internal pressure, I guess, that we're putting on ourselves. A, a ton of pressure mm. comes from the outside, but honestly, more comes from within. We've got to let that go of being a perfect mom mm. because it's not possible and it's not fair. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Mm. And it's not fair anyway. No, no. I'm curious when it comes to like parenting practices, what I talk about is we say like to balance boundaries and limits within the home with the warmth and the connection that we have with our child. Does that general way of parenting, which now is called positive, responsive, conscious, I don't know what attachment, all of those, I don't know what those are, balancing those two things. Does that apply with you in your home as well? Or is that something that we should be redefining? Well, it's become like a buzzword, right? Gentle parenting is its own misunderstood yes. buzzword yes. of yeah. the day. Yeah. I tried them both on for size. I tried the whole like authoritarian parenting years ago with my son when he was really struggling. And obviously that did not fit mm. not only who I am, but it did not work for, for him. Um, when he pushed back on that, I was told to go even stronger in authoritarian. Anyway, that was a bad idea, but I tried it. Mm. And then I totally flipped to the other side and tried the stereotypical gentle parenting in which he walked all over me and I allowed it because there was so much talk. Well, I think you're upset right now. And meanwhile, he's like punching me. (laughs) Yeah. He's upset right now. I don't need to name that. That didn't work for me either. And so I think it's partly in that, I don't know if it's just my kid because he's a little different, but honestly, um, my parenting method is uh, the champion way, which is simply, I have no idea. And instead of having a way, oh, I'm a gentle parent. I I do attachment parenting. I do this. I do that. My answer is I do what works in the moment. Mm. And sometimes like he's lost it. He's exhausted. He's starving. And he just wants this one food. And I'm just not, I'm just not going to fight that battle tonight. So go ahead. We're going to do this. You can have that thing that I probably should like crack down on, but meh, because Because peace in the home is important (laughs) and peace in my kid is important and peace in me is important. And then another day I might, I might have a little more energy and I might say, you know what? No, you're not eating that today. Instead, let's, let's, let's look online for some different recipes. We can try whatever it's inconsistent parenting. And that is honestly the best way to do it. That is what I've learned because consistency (laughs) doesn't work when you have a child who is not typical. <laughs> so consistently inconsistent is what I like to I say it. and think of it yeah. as just do whatever mm. works, you know, and that's okay too. What are some, before we let each other go, what are some resources that you recommend? A mom had asked me if there were some books, um, her son had just received a diagnosis. I'm not sure of what I recommended your group. Um, are there books that you've read that were helpful? Are there other resources or websites that were helpful to you? Yeah, there are. I think, again, keeping in mind that with neurodivergent children, there there is no one answer. There is no one way. There is no... So I try to read and listen to lots of different things. One of my favorite podcasts in talking about neurodivergent kids um, and from an um, advice sort of standpoint was the Tilt Parenting Podcast. Um, that was a great one. 
Um, in terms of reading, The Explosive Child was a great one. But again, The Explosive Child comes with a, this is what you should do. And I would just add a little asterisk next to that. This is what you could do sometimes <laughs> because it's, mm. it's not going to work all the time and yeah. that's okay, <laughs> but it's a good book. It's certainly very validating. Um, highly sensitive kids mm. is, is something else that I've been um, really thinking a lot about with my own kid and uh, uh, Elaine Aaron's uh, highly sensitive person. Oh yeah. Uh, HSP. Mm-hmm. She's got books. She's got a website. I found that very useful too. It's all out there, but the whole point is moms like myself, when you're drowning, we are researching hours and hours and hours a day, trying to grasp at any solution. But the truth is there's, there's not one. You put together a bunch of things, Mm. see what works and what feels right to you. Because honestly, I lost my mother's intuition. I turned it off because I was so obsessed with, well, Elaine Aaron says this and this guy, this, this doctor says that, what about what I say, yeah. which is my kid just needs a hug right now. I don't need yeah. to talk and I don't need to work it out and I don't need to discipline. I just need to give him a hug. I need to listen to myself first, mm. because even though you don't feel that way, we mm. always, we do, you do know what's best for your child. It's in there. You just, you still have to tap into it. I think the intuition is very common that we've lost it and I, I've had this discussion with my mother-in-law where she said, you know, back in my day, um, she had four boys and she's like, you know, I just tried something and if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. And there was nobody online, like I didn't share on Facebook or social media. There wasn't any social media. Nobody was there to tell me if it, if it was wrong. I wasn't posting pictures of my kid eating certain foods and somebody telling me off about it. I just did it. If it was pizza night, it was pizza night. If it was like whatever. And there was, she talks about like there being less stress in parenting because you sleep trained and you didn't talk about it because everybody just did whatever they had to do and let your kid cry because you have another one that you have to take care of and who cares? <laughs> you just get it done. Um, and we do have so much around us now that we have lost that intuition in the sense that we just have to try it out. Like you said, just, you know what? And that's the kind of parenting, who cares about these titles? Who cares? Even when it comes to like Montessori and all that kind of stuff, like, people ask me like, what's the style that you follow within your home? What I started homeschooling this year, you know, it's like, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just teaching. I'm just, (laughs) I I just, there's math and there's English and I'm figuring it out as I go. We just ended up doing it by fluke because of the pandemic. Um, Having three kids, we didn't want to send one in and out and then bring it. It was just, that was the only reason why. Um, But I'm figuring out as I go, just like with parenting and it doesn't have to be a certain style. It's just about doing it. And we need to do the same for as parents. We need to just figure out the style of your home and your kids and what works. Be fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever works that day is fine. Even throughout the day, we can't parent the same way. We might have a lot of energy in the morning or we might not have if we have a child who struggles with mornings. For me, I that 4 p.m. time <laughs> with three kids being home, the worst. that's when my sensory sensitivities come out that I had no clue I had. Mm-hmm. I'm so sensitive to sound by 4 p.m. That's why nobody sees us except for us right now. But just to describe my environment that Megan's seeing right now, I have the, I'm in my basement and the lights are turned off and I just have my desk lamp and a little lamp behind me because it's been one of those days where I just... I'm tapped out mm-hmm. um, in terms of sensory. So I have to be in the dark to kind of like recharge. Mm-hmm. And we need to be okay with that as parents. We need to be in tune with our child, but with ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. I'm starting to really think that neurodivergence is um, 
such a large umbrella term and maybe I'm just going to throw this out there, but what if everybody is a little neurodivergent, <laughs> right? I have sensory stuff too. Um, yes. Uh, and I know people yeah. with just ADHD or just giftedness or just, or whatever, it doesn't even need a diagnosis, but I really hate sand. I really hate water. I really hate trying new foods, whatever. We all have a little something. Mm. I mean, no one's, no one is typical because what the heck is that anyway? What does that mean? Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But even when it comes to like attentional issues, I, I think people are very quick to label. I used to work in uh, with teachers and I used to teach them about how the brain functions. And they were very quick to point out and say, that one must have ADHD. That child has ADHD. And that would really get to me because they don't have a diagnosis. You're just going on the fact that they struggle with paying attention, but they're in grade one and two. So their attention span is not what you want it to be at, in grade one or two. You know, it might be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it's, it, it, they can't stay there for an hour and focus. It's normal. It's, it's developmentally normal not to focus at that age, but they would label. And, and I think that if we start looking as ADHD as struggling with certain aspects of attention or behavior or social aspects, what is that need that that child has? And I might have it too. I'm an introvert. Like right now, you and I, I love this. But if you put me in a party and you're there, I might not talk. I will sip on a coffee or a drink in the corner. <laughs> Same here. Like, you know, and what does that mean? That's not neurotypical. Like, I don't know what that is, right? So if we start looking at it as what needs we all have, what are our struggles or challenges and what are our strengths? Who cares about labels and titles and whatever it is? Let's just focus on that as individuals. Correct. Hmm. That's exactly right. And I'm the same. I would be in the other corner at that party. Um, <laughs> we would never meet. <laughs> no, no, no. I would be counting the minutes till I could go home and put yes. my sweatpants on and get in my bed. Um, yeah, that <laughs> is so me. Um, so I feel that. And that's fine because that's who you are. Hmm. And that's what makes you, you. Hmm. And forget labels and forget um this is special education. This is not, this is neurotypical. This is not, forget all of that. You're just, you're just you, you're mm -hmm. human um, and you're doing your best. And that's enough. That is enough. This is, this is totally off topic. I'm sorry. Do you ever wish that you had this insight, but as a teenager or somebody in your twenties, because I often think about that where I've become, I, I'm, I'll be 40 next year and I've become more comfortable in my skin and it's so empowering to be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't want to talk to people at a party and I'm okay with that. I'll just, like you said, I'll just wait for the time to pass. I'm good with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but being a teen, I, it was, it, it yes. brought on a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. I just wish that I, I was kind of today who I am, yes. but in, in my teen years. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just said this to a colleague today who wanted me to come out to a function this weekend. And I said, <laughs> if I go out to this thing, then I have to people and like I don't want to people and she said you're yeah. happy sitting in your house and in, in quiet all the time I said absolutely I yes, I am. yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes I am yeah um, but that's okay why do we value extroverts that's the whole point mm. why are we valuing certain traits yeah and let's just yeah. accept everybody but you cannot accept everybody else until you accept yourself first that's it that's the quote of the episode yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> Megan, thank you for chatting with me. Uh, where can we find you? How do we join your group? Um, lead us to to all your stuff. <laughs> and I'll add the links to the show notes. Oh, thank you very much. I mainly live on Instagram um, at on the hard days with dots in between each word. My podcast is also on the hard days. 
Um, you can find it on, on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but my community is Mothers Together. And the best way to find that is through my website, ontheharddays.com forward slash Mothers Together. Thank you so much for having me. This was really awesome. I loved it. It was fun. I always love chatting with you. We need to have a follow-up. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions coming in and then we could continue our conversation. Maybe to end it off, one sentence or piece of advice for a parent who's starting their journey. Mm, Such a good question. And that is what I wish I had heard when I was just starting. The very first thing to know is that you are not the only person struggling in this way. You are not alone. There are a ton of other mothers out there. Not only that, But what you're doing, trying this, trying that, reading this, you're doing enough. You're doing plenty. There's nothing you could be doing differently or more to be a quote unquote better mother. That is the number one advice. After that, perhaps talk to your pediatrician and get a full neuropsychological evaluation. (laughs) But before that, just know that you are doing your absolute best. And that really is enough. And thank you. Thank you. This was so great. Thank you, Megan. I can't wait to chat with you again. Oh, can't wait. Thank you.